Welcome back to the Religious Studies Project. It's Monday, which means we have another new episode for you. I'm Andy Alexander, and with me today is... Savannah Finbert. Thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, having me on. Now, today, we have this fantastic interview that you have done with Dr. S. Jonathan O'Donnell. And in this interview, you talk a a bit about different critical approaches in the study of religion. Could you tell us a little more about this interview? Yeah, absolutely. So it was uh, such a pleasure for me to be able to interview Dr. O'Donnell. The interview primarily focused on their most recent work that came out Passing orders. This book focuses on demons or 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 demonology as a kind of discursive tool through which certain types of bodies are classified, separated, demarcated, and that are afforded or um, blocked from achieving certain rights. We talked a lot about the interdisciplinary approach that it was something that couldn't focus necessarily only on, you know, um, typical religious studies type of theories uh, that they really branched out into critical gender studies, critical race studies, um, you know, thinking just more broadly about, about how categories function. And of course, towards the end of the interview, which was, uh, which was really interesting and useful for me to think through, um, Dr. O'Donnell and I spoke in some depth about about what it means to engage in the critical study of religion. You know, that's something that is um, that we talk about a lot here on the Religious Studies Project, and um, something that I, as a student, am constantly thinking about and working through. And so, you know, what types of projects would qualify as a critical studies of religion project? Is it only when we're critiquing the category of religion, or is it when we bring any critical lens to our to our work that we are engaging in a critical study. And so thinking through some of those conceptions um, and how we we place and define our work was a really interesting conversation for me to be a part of as, as a student, especially, I think. Yeah, it sounds like it because I feel like there are some general assumptions about what the critical study of religion looks like, what that entails, and maybe in its own way is somewhat reduced to a certain understanding, which it sounds like is exactly what the two of you discussed today. I can't wait to listen. This is Sovereignty and Spiritual Warfare with S. Jonathan O'Donnell by you, Savannah Finber. Thanks, Andy. Let's listen in. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Religious Studies Project. My name is Savannah Finber. I will be your host for this episode. And today I am delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dr. S. Jonathan O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is currently an Irish Research Council postdoctoral fellow at University College Dublin and a visiting scholar in the School of Natural and Built Environment at Queen's University Belfast. Their work focuses on demonization, sovereign power, and the religious right, while also tackling such global contemporary issues as Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, transphobia, and religious nationalism. They also recently published their first monograph, Passing Orders, Demonology and Sovereignty in American Spiritual Warfare which was released earlier this year through Fordham University Press. Welcome, Dr. O'Donnell, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Savannah. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm really excited to do this interview, and I suppose my first question, and maybe this seems obvious to you or maybe it doesn't, um, is why demonology? I mean, you know, I studied the Satanic Temple for my master's thesis, so I can say for myself that talking about the devil is 
you know, always interesting, but I want to know what <laughs> got you specifically uh, interested in studying, thinking about, writing about, talking about demons of all things. Okay. So I guess there's like a few different ways I can answer this this question. Um, I guess the most kind of scholarly and professional response is that I found a, I guess, a research gap. Um, to give a bit of background there, I started my PhD doing research on apocalyptic discourses during the American War on Terror. Uh, and as part of that research, one of the things that I noticed was that demonology was not really being discussed. Uh, there was occasionally references to Satan, sometimes the Antichrist as part of apocalyptic discourses, but no kind of discussion about demons generally in the way that I was seeing them kind of crop up in the literature that I was looking at, like particularly the primary source literature that we'll talk about a bit later. Um, and so like my focus on demonology kind of grew specifically out of that um, in terms of, I guess, filling a research gap that I felt kind of needed to be addressed. And I mean, there's a certain level to which it did, like in the very last months of my PhD is when Sean McLeod released American Possessions. So obviously I was not the only one who noticed that this was a specific issue. Um, the older, I guess, more personal explanation for this is that my, I guess my interest in demons kind of goes back to me being an angsty goth teen during the, during the early two, late 90s and the early 2000s. Um, and just generally, like, yeah, like, I mean, there's there's kind of a number of elements. There's there's the kind of weird experience of growing up as, like, a queer kid in Britain in the 90s under Section 28, where, like, the majority of queer representation that you see is villains in things, which kind of ended up having perhaps the opposite effect to the people who designed those things goals in that it just made me want to be a supervillain most of the time That's um, awesome. which i think like then ultimately kind of led to a fascination for like villainized figures in media in religion in discourse which then kind of fed ultimately into this kind of fascination with demonology um that then kind of took on a kind of more like political bent um through my research i mean one of the ways that the research focuses specifically is on that relationship that intersection between the demon as a kind of cultural figure or as a kind of discursive object and like politics and the the workings of power in society yeah that's fascinating i mean i feel like especially recently we see this coming up a lot in political discourse, right? Mm. Um, particularly in the United States, I feel, especially with a strong evangelical presence in the Christian right, um, you know, we hear a lot of, uh, you know, the, the devil's at work. <laughs> so is that kind of what drove some of your some of your yeah. um, research? I mean, very much. I mean, like, there was very much that element in which I, want, I ended up being interested in demons and I was kind of looking for where the demons were. Um, okay. And where the demons primarily were was the United States, to a certain degree. Um, <laughs> right. At least, like to to the at the point where I kind of made my decision to kind of do the research focus. Uh, to give a bit of background on that, like I did my master's thesis on sovereignty and apocalyptic discourse, but specifically looking at kind of 
seventh, eighth century, like early apocalypse, well, not early, early apocalypses, but like early by contemporary standards. Sure. Um, and one of the things I wanted to do for my PhD was to take the themes that I'd kind of picked up in those apocalyptic texts and talk about them in a more contemporary political, like explicitly political contemporary context. And when I looked around myself, the where the where I saw these things playing out in a way that was accessible to me also like linguistically, like because uh was America. Um Right. Yeah, the English language focus and yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um so you started out with an with an interest in demons. That seems like it kind of led into this interest, right, in American political discourse. So I'm curious in, as to how this uh, ultimately led into your project, your larger project that culminated in passing orders, your your monograph that just came out. So this is a really interesting, I think, element, because the, there's a certain chicken and egg scenario that goes on there in terms of like whether my interest in demons led specifically to the focus on American politics or whether my initial research into American politics pointed me in the direction of demons. Uh, and there's kind of th- right. those two are kind of working in conjunction, I think, in, in complicated and perhaps difficult to unpack ways. Uh, I guess the more immediate um, trajectory regarding, regarding the demons, particularly in the demons in the context of American politics, was that one of the elements when I was doing the literature review for my original um, dissertation um, was that the vast majority of literature that was theorizing demonology or like theorizing demons um, was entirely focused on either, I guess, two periods of history. Most of it was in the early modern period or the late medieval period and focused on the European witchcraft demonologies, essentially. There's a lot of kind of critical theoretical scholarship, um, primarily using things like discourse analysis that kind of is operating in that sphere. The the other aspect was for late antiquity, like very early Christian demonologies or demonologies in the kind of um, second temple sort of Jewish culture at that period. There was very little that was like theorizing and looking at demons in the contemporary era. Okay. Um, although, like, McLeod's book kind of came out, like, right at the end of when I was doing my dissertation. But that was kind of the first major book that really, like, right. tried to take demons seriously in the contemporary scenario. Um, but this actually led me in really interesting directions, because it led me to kind of looking at what are the themes of... What are the themes that were being unpacked in early modern demonology like by these theoretical texts and how would how were those how to what degree could i translate that like those 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 scholarly works to a contemporary context and i ended up realizing that there are a number of kind of conceptual themes around which christian demonology tended to orient itself i guess uh, in terms of the way that the demon was constructed as a kind of discursive object or as a discursive figure. Right. Um, perhaps the most obvious that I think a lot of people know about is is rebellion. The idea of kind of, of rebellion, of willfulness, of kind of willful deviation from divine order. Um, so like there, the Miltonic Satan kind of. Yeah, like the, that's the theme that the theme that Milton Satan kind of kind of picks up on and and gets kind of appropriated and reappropriated in the kind of post-Miltonic um romantic right. Satanist tradition. Um 
But there are also elements, there are elements of um, what I would call it in the book kind of ontological negation or ontological invalidity. Like the idea that the demon, due to their rebellion against divine order, is kind of stripped of the capacity for legitimate substance. Um, they don't really exist in a in a in a way that is I guess sustainable. Like they 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 have no they have no ontological true ontological state. Uh, And the third one that I talk about is this kind of denial of futurity that kind of runs through demonology, this denial of of reproductive capacity that kind of emanates from both their willful deviance and their kind of ontological negation. Um, The demon is is structurally positioned as incapable of founding or creating any kind of lasting order. Right. Um, And... I started reading more widely in contemporary, I guess, contemporary theory about th- places where those ideas were being theorized and taken up. And that's kind of what led me ultimately to closer engagement with, with queer studies and with black studies and with kind of post-colonial theory, where these right. themes of the, sort of negation of the negation of being, of the, the, the accusation of willful deviance, the denial of futurity, like these were major themes in in that body of kind of critical theoretical scholarship. And that's kind of, I think the combination of kind of looking at at those themes through the lens of this kind of history and perhaps ultimately secularization of themes from Christian demonology um, in the European political tradition, and then ultimately the American political tradition, is kind of what led to the specific creation of the rather strange chimerical book that Passing Orders kind of ultimately ultimately became. Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring up, um, you know, queer theory and post-colonial theory. I've noticed being a student in comparative studies and, and doing more interdisciplinary work now that you see kind of these questions about what constitutes the human and mm. also, of course, who, who is not human, yeah. right? Who does not get to qualify as human. You see that actually, interestingly, less in religious studies, I feel like, than you see in some of these other disciplines. I, d- I definitely think that's the case. And I, and I think um, I think in order to understand contemporary demonology, like, and the way that contemporary demonology, like, in, it, in its technical, I guess, religious sense, like, as belief in, in demonic spiritual entities that are active in the world, I think the way, I think to understand how that operates today, like you need this interdisciplinary focus. Like you need to be able to look at the way that that demonology both arises in conjunction with and intersects with with constructions of whiteness, constructions of patriarchy, constructions of of colonialism. Um, yeah. Both like in its historical kind of emergence, but also in its contemporary contemporary effects. Um, Yeah. And I think that comes through very powerfully um, throughout your book. I think uh, going off of this, since we're kind of jumping into um, some of the theories and the theoretical works that you were uh, looking at as you were working on your, your monograph. um, I I'm curious to know, and I'm sure our listeners also want to know what your methodology was for a book like this. Um, I like, of course we talked a little bit about discourse analysis already and looking at, you know, rhetoric and uh, political rhetoric, especially. 
Um, so that would be, I guess, the general like theoretical framework that you were operating within. But how do you go about like, you know, finding resources on this topic? Um, you know, I've yeah. read, I've read uh, a pretty substantial portion of the book now. And, um, you know, the Jezebel chapter, of course, is one of my favorites. Um, and it seems like you're working, uh, you're working a lot with primary texts and then using kind of this interdisciplinary mm. theoretical framework to contextualize some of these primary texts. Yeah. So, I mean, Je- Jezebel is bay and we stand. So <laughs> that, has, that has to go out there. Um, but yeah, so I the book kind of sets itself up as a discourse analysis of contemporary demonology. And to kind of to work through this, I basically tracked down a whole series of primary source texts, primarily what are referred to as spiritual warfare manuals, um, which are books written by evangelicals for evangelicals. Um, they're they're right. primarily designed to insiders. They operate as this curious hybrid of kind of a self-help manual, a kind of military strategy guide, and like a kind of demonological treaties and like different measures. And they also exist on a kind of continuum from a kind of what I think of as maybe a pure self-help narrative that's primarily about um, the idea that demons are active in the world and in your personal and familial life, like causing problems. And this is how to kind of channel the power of Jesus to kind of get rid of them in a very personal sense. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have kind of more what you might think of as conspiracist or conspiratorial texts that are about the operations of the demonic, like at the level of global politics um, or at the level of kind of nations and national holes. Uh, but these kind of exist on a continuum with a kind of shared underlying worldview that operates. And you get a lot of texts that are like situated in, in the middle or like, you know, yeah. so along this continuum. Um, so I read about, I read about 200 for my um, original PhD thesis. And then I, wow. I read about a hundred again since. Um, oh my so goodness! The, so the ultimate kind of the ultimate kind of sample size for for passing orders is about three. There's a, there's like a, about three hundred texts in total, not all of which get cited in in the book. Uh, about a hundred of them are, are cited in the book. Okay. Um, ultimately, uh, but then what I looked at is I I ended up I read this vast kind of set of primary source texts. I picked out certain commonalities, certain features that were recurring. Because this is one of the other interesting things about this, is that although a lot of these figures in this kind of vast milieu that exists in contemporary America, like, they don't all know each other. Like, sometimes they do. Sometimes they come to know each other later, like, due to the similarities of their work, which is also interesting. But I noticed that even among, like, disconnected, like, unrelated individuals, like, they were writing on similar themes, um, about similar things in similar ways, like not explicitly drawing on each other, but still kind of articulating shared ideas. Uh, And I kind of became interested in theorizing, okay, so like, what are these ideas? Like, how are demons being theorized? Um, And this led me to, I think, one of, perhaps what what is one of the more interesting um, parts of passing orders, which is, the way that different demons are used to conceptualize different kind of marginalized subject populations in distinct ways. 
Uh, because there is a tendency, even among scholarship that talks about demonology, to homogenize the demonic, like as simply a kind of a concept of otherness, a kind of category of, of otherness more broadly, or of kind of, of, of threat. Um, but when you look at specific, when you look at demonology kind of in a more granular level, you see the way that specific figures become embodiments of specific kinds of threat. Um, Jezebel is, to use one of the one of the kind of main case studies of the book, is primarily associated with gender, with queerness, um, but also with kind of internationalism. There's this element of kind of... I, I like to think of Jezebel as a spirit that is used to conceptualize the breakdown of quote-unquote kind of proper boundaries around things, and right. whether that's the normative family, like normative gender and sexual relations, like the nation as a kind of organic bodily whole. Um, right. Because Jezebel is also used to conceptualize ideas of like addiction and like abusive power dynamics between people, like as, as well as these kind of more macro level, there's this element of which Jezebel is used to conceptualize this kind of breakdown of the proper boundaries between, between objects, like within these people's worldview. Um, but Jezebel was very rarely, if ever used to conceptualize Islam, for example, uh, which is a common right. bugbear with, with an evangelical discourse. Like they're, they're often writing yeah. Islam, many Islamophobic tracts. Um, right. But with odd exceptions, like Jezebel never a, a, a arises in that context. Um, there are odd exceptions, but they tend to be the books that literally cite Jezebel as behind everything. Like from, <laughs> from right. like, uh, like there, there, there are books, for example, that accuse Jezebel of being behind like, LGBT rights in America, ISIS, Buddhism, um, like Hollywood movies, um, basically anything that they don't like. Um, but right. outside of those contexts where Jezebel just kind of like adopted like essentially everything, um, Jezebel was never used to conceptualize Islam. Like Islam was always conceptualized through other demonic figures. Um, the one I use, in, the one I analyze in the book primarily, is the Antichrist. Um, right. The idea of the Islamic Antichrist. Um, also, Baal is sometimes used, um, and other other figures. Um, but this is this is kind of for a number of reasons. Like one is that Jezebel is heavily gendered as female um, right. within spiritual warfare texts, and Islam within their worldview is heavily coded as masculine. Um, That's it, so interesting. It tends to be like heavily masculinized. It very much relies on these. Islamophobic tropes of the kind of the violent Muslim man who's kind of the threat to the kind of um, to kind of European and American society. Um, Interesting. And within that framework, like if Jezebel arises, Jezebel arises like as this kind of feminizing force that kind of undermines the virility of Western civilization that then kind of leaves it open to this, this kind of masculinized other that kind of comes from outside. Um, so the Antichrist in that context emerges as this, almost like this double or this mirror to the very specific concept of patriarchy that the evangelicals are actually trying to institute, but kind of rendered abject and wrong because it's supposedly like based in quote unquote Islam rather than quote unquote Christianity. Um, but it's essentially, yeah. it's essentially just a projection of, of the very order that they are trying to create, but but in kind of in kind of slightly twisted terms, like within their within their worldview. 
Right, like inverted kind of. Yeah. Um, That's very interesting. But this kind of gets, I think, onto the, the broader point, which is I think when you start looking at demonology on a granular level, theoretically, you need to start using different theoretical lenses depending on the way that the demon is being conceptualized within that context. So there is an element to which, like, I derived my theory from the primary source materials to a degree. So with Jezebel, for example, I was like, I was looking at her and I'm like, okay, so she's primarily associated with gender, um, with, with like ideas of hyperfeminization, with ideas of the kind of the breakdown of the nation state with, with kind of queer and trans subjectivities. So I started drawing on the resources of gender theory and of queer theory to kind of think through this and queer international relations theory, for example, in the context of of the kind of more internationalist dimensions of of Jezebel's demonologies. Um, With Islam, with the kind of demonologies of Islam, I looked at um, scholarship on Islamophobia, like scholarship on like critical race theory, like there's a significant element of anti-blackness that goes into that. Um, due to the way that like blackness and Islam are kind of have this very specific relationship within American American kind of Christianity and American culture generally. Right. Um, so there was this element to which I I drew on these untheoretical lenses that I thought were illuminating for conceptualizing and thinking through the way that the specific demonic figures that I was kind of analyzing, operated. Um, Which leads, I think, to the book being ultimately very, very interdisciplinary. Um, It draws on on kind of religious studies and occasionally on theology, although it's not theological, but it uses, like, the people I study use theology. So there's some theology that's kind of necessary to contextualize that. Uh, But it also draws heavily on, on critical theory, on queer theory, on critical race theory, on black studies, on kind of settler colonial and post-colonial theory and kind of decolonial criticism. Like as I felt the as I felt kind of these this kind of broad range of different theoretical insights I thought were necessary to actually really get to grips with and really unpack um the the discourses that I was I was just sort of uncovering um through my research into the primary sources. Yeah, I think that's really interesting how your your work with the primary sources really drove how interdisciplinary the mm. the project ultimately became. Um I think like so much of what you're bringing up about all these different critical lenses that uh you know you use to um interpret the various demonic figures that were popping up in your research. Um leads nicely into a question that we we are very focused on here at the Religious Studies Project, which, um, you know, I was wondering if you could tell our, our listeners a little bit more about um, how you see uh, passing orders as, um, and maybe the rest of your work more broadly as well, um, fitting into this larger project of like critical religious studies, right? So, um, so many of, of, of the, the disciplines you mentioned or the theory, theoretical frameworks that you've mentioned, um, you know, I'll start with critical, right? Critical race (laughs) studies, critical gender studies. So I'm curious what you make of that and how your work fits into this, this much larger question. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a kind of number of directions you can go with that. Um, Perhaps the most obvious is like the simple question, like, does it fit into critical <laughs> religious studies? Um, 
And I think to kind of really get to grips with that, you have to kind of look at what what is critical religious studies, like as a as a kind of sub-discipline of, or as a discipline of religious studies, or as a sub-discipline of religious studies. Um, discourse analysis is a very common feature of the critical study of religions, and to that degree, it, it is very much part of critical religious studies. However, like, the book doesn't really interrogate, say, the concept of religion um, right. in a way that I think is a key feature of the critical study of religion, like more broadly. Like it doesn't, it's not really in the book is not really interested in unpacking the concept of religion um, in a way that I think like makes it maybe slightly ajar to to that kind of broader disciplinary project. On the other hand, like it is, it is not. If you mean critical religious studies as like separate from like more theological frameworks or kind of, I guess, more confessional frameworks, almost um, within a theological, more apologetic, um, it's very much in critical religious studies in that context. It very much like it's it's not a theological book. Although I, I did see it once listed as under practical theology in a bookstore, which. Uh, <laughs> Um, That's I'm, interesting. I'm pretty sure whoever whoever bought it from there is it's going to be very disappointed. Um, <laughs> but, um, but like the book is very critical, and the book draws on various critical frameworks that I think are perhaps important and necessary for broadening the critical study of religions as it currently exists. Um, I think a core feature of the critical study of religions is partly like an interrogation of the way that religion emerges as a conceptual category, like through the enterprise of European colonialism, for example. And right. like that history, that history of, and of course the way that the concept of religion historically is, and even in contemporary media is, uses the synonym for Christianity. Like to, to be religious is, is frequently to be coded as Christian. Right. Um, and the book very much kind of wrestles with and takes up like that that trajectory of the critical study of religions. It's it's very focused on colonialism, like and, and indeed on neo-colonialism, like on the, the continual perpetuity of the kind of colonial mode of, of extraction and epistemic violence. Um it's like heavily tied up with the interrogation of categories of of race, of gender, of of citizenship, of sexuality that are that emerged kind of with the category of religion, like in modernity, like in specifically in colonial modernity. Um, so I think that's kind of how it fits into that broader project. I think it contributes in a way that importantly brings critical analyses of the history of religion into closer dialogue with other kind of critical theoretical frameworks drawn specifically here from what would what is often classified as kind of critical theory and cultural studies as like a broad kind yes. of interdisciplinary um framework like it it it's heavily invested in kind of drawing on those resources and bringing them to bear like on what would be classified, I think, generally as like quote unquote religious discourses. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, 
there, there's, I think, I feel like, uh, especially recently, there's, there's a way in which the critical study of religion has, you know, for a long time, I feel like you're right, like you mentioned, kind of, um, at the beginning of what you were just saying there, that there was this real focus on critiquing the category of religion itself. Mm. But it feels like, especially with, you know, um, as cultural studies has solidified as kind of a discipline, mm. um, you know, there's been a move towards incorporating uh, other kinds of critical theory, other other disciplines of critical theory, to kind of um, bringing bringing all of that back to bear on the things that we're looking at in a in a typical yeah. religious studies you know concept. Um, I see that we are quickly running out of time. There's so much more we could say about this, but I want to make sure that you get a chance to tell us about what is coming next for you. I feel like so many people are going to want to know, like after, after demonology and um, the American religious right and you know, what, what's next? Well, the, the answer is, I think, and is going to be the answer for a very long time is always more demons. <laughs> of um, so I currently have two projects kind of on the go. One is in some ways it's like the flip side of, the the project that became passing orders and that it also like passing orders also grew out is growing out ultimately of my doctoral dissertation which i should note that passing orders is very much not the doctoral dissertation <laughs> um, it, it, it is it is its relationship to the doctoral dissertation is as the relationship of a horror movie to the true story it's based on okay <laughs> um, but this, uh, I have a, another, a shorter project that I'm working on, which is specifically a kind of genealogy of the relationship of demonology to political sovereignty as a kind of more historical concept as opposed to a contemporary kind of American um, political framework. Sure. Um, so it's focused, it, it's specifically going to be oriented around looking at sort of key historical theorists of sovereignty like Jean Baudin, like Thomas Hobbes, for example, and the way that demonology influences the way that they construct sovereignty, and thus, ultimately, the way that demonology underwrites the concept of the sovereign nation-state as it kind of arises in modernity, um, as a kind of disavowed foundation um, that intersects with, for example, fears of international anarchy and things like that. Um, so that's like so what, kind of the prequel. Yeah, it's like so, the pre, it's it's the prequel. It's the, it's the free the prequel book. Um, <laughs> it's currently tentatively titled Over Pandemonium. Um, nice, which, is, which I, I just like as the title. Um, <laughs> although the the title might change. The other project that I'm working on, uh, which is a longer a longer project, um, and is more of a direct sequel to Passing Orders, um, is. Also looking at contemporary American demonology uh, in the contemporary period, but is focused far more on discourses of ecology, discourses of of the human, of post-humanism. Um, it's looking specific, it's going to be looking specifically at intersections between evangelical demonology, climate skepticism, kind of ri- rising eco-fascist currents, um, but using a combination of kind of eco-criticism and kind of post-humanist theory and things like that to kind of interrogate the intersections of kind of demonology, ecology, and technology in contemporary America. Nice. I think that's going to be very timely, especially with all of our discussions around uh, climate change and climate activism uh, that have been so prevalent in uh, American political discourse recently. 
Um, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the kind of rounding out of this trilogy. I'm excited to see what comes next for you. I should point out, I have, a, I have a fourth book planned after that. So uh, there's a fourth um, book too. You can, like, so. that, that's, that's very early in the planning stages, but I'm hoping to look more distinctly at like discourses of property um, in, oh, that'll in demonology. Be cool. um, one of the things I point out in a few articles and in the book that I haven't really had time to theorize is the way that demons are frequently equated to squatters within evangelical That's discourse. That's interesting. And I really want to look at the way that that intersects with American, specifically American concepts of racial capitalism, of private property, and things like that. But that that's very early stages. That's like that's like the fourth the fourth book. So, um, <laughs> so there's lots coming up for you in the yeah, future. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sure I'm sure it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll write something that's not about demons, and then the demons kind of come up, and they're like, yeah, you should write about this next. <laughs> yeah, I feel like once you start <laughs> once you start down that rabbit hole, as somebody who has also studied <laughs> demons, <laughs> yeah. once you start down that rabbit hole, you start it pops up more. It feels like almost yeah, um, definitely. Well, Doctor O'Donnell, thank you so much for joining us today. I had pleasure. good. I had such a good time talking with you, and I just want to remind our listeners once again um, about your monograph, Passing Orders, that's out uh, through Fordham University Press. And um, definitely do listeners take a look. And um, thank it you again so much for It is available in paperback here. for the low, low price yes. of $30. Yes, absolutely. Make sure you get that paperback, that sweet, sweet paperback. All right, Dr. O'Donnell, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Savannah, for that wonderful interview. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to know what you thought about the episode. So please head over to social media to continue the conversation. Thank you so much, Andy. And um, also, I happen to know that Dr. O'Donnell is pretty active on Twitter. So if you would like to uh, join them uh, or engage them in further conversation, you can certainly uh, look for their Twitter handle. It's at uh, Demonologian. Uh, and you can find me as well at Savage Finn uh, over on Twitter. Look forward to talking more with you guys. And of course, you know that you can find us on Facebook at The Religious Studies Project, and over on Twitter at Project RS. Please also check out our website for a transcript of this episode and much, much more at www.religiousstudiesproject.com. We also appreciate any support that you are able to give us. Even a monthly donation of just $1 would go a long way to help support the work that we do here. Head over to patreon.com slash projectrs to donate there. Also, if you are an Amazon user, please use our Amazon affiliate links when you purchase different items on Amazon. It doesn't change the cost of the item for you, but a small portion of your purchase is a donation that comes to us. So we would really appreciate your using one of our Amazon affiliate links, which is located on our website. Until next time, I think all that's left to say is... Thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The RSP is sponsored by the BASR, NAASR and the IAHR and is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation. Find out more at religiousstudiesproject.com. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's the other guy. 
Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox and Lauren Osborne, and our Opportunities Digest by Ella Buck. Audio editing by Alex Matthews, podcast transcription by Andy Alexander and Savannah Finver, and social media managed by Ray Radford and Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon affiliate links or donating at patreon.com backslash project RS. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, and other portals. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>